Here we go. We're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 30. Can we do it? And let's go and pick up with verse 29. We'll all read it together as our public reading. Are you ready? That no flesh should glory in his presence. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy to be able to study your word tonight. I pray you'd make the time profitable. I'm so glad you gave us the Bible and gave us people that will be interested in coming on a Wednesday night to study the Bible. Please, I pray you'd bless the Transformer Kids Club that's taking place and those who are in the nursery, those who are operating cameras and working on the logistics there in the AV. I pray that you'd please, uh, Lord, be with the security officers and, and then, uh, Lord, for those who are teaching and helping our children tonight. We be with Brother Abdel as he helps the junior high young people. And I just pray that every aspect of our service tonight, what happens here across the street in our Spanish congregation, all of it would bring glory to you and help to everyone who's here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you look at verse number 30, the Bible tells us, I think, uh, the main focuses of 1 Corinthians. Would you look at the words, the major words you see there in verse number 30? But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, of course, he's the sinner, who of God is made unto us, what? Wisdom, righteousness, and those are four words I think that are very fitting for this focus. He said, I want to give you wisdom about what to do. I want to show you what the right thing is to do. I want to help you be sanctified, clean, and set apart for service. And I want you to live like redeemed people. Verse 31 tells us the reason. Can anyone give me one word reason? Looking at verse 31. Glory. Yeah, the glory of God. That really is why we're still on this planet and still alive after we're saved. Number one, uh, we're here to bring glory to God. Give others a good opinion of God based upon you and me. Our neighbors have an opinion upon, of God, First Baptist Church, based upon your conduct. The people where you pay bills and do business have a good or a negative opinion of Jesus Christ based upon your testimony and my testimony. That's why it's really important to elevate our behavior, because our behavior is a reflection. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. He's the light of the world, but you are the light. You're a reflection. It's moonlight Christianity. We're reflecting upon his sonship, upon our life, onto a dark world. It's really important that we have a good testimony. Well, I say that because the church at Corinth did not have a good testimony. It was terribly embarrassing. Now, about every church problem you can find in a church, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians. It was a messed up church. It was trouble. From start to finish, from top to bottom, it had issues. It was started by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18. He comes in very low into Corinth. He's by himself initially, and he goes to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath days, but he doesn't do what he normally does. He did ask questions. He did give some input. But what he did not do is preach Jesus. He did ask questions about the Old Testament. He did provoke their thinking. They probably said, I hope that guy's back next week. He was asking some really good questions. But one thing he didn't do, he didn't preach the gospel in Corinth on the several days he was there, the several weeks he was there, until Timothy and Silas show up. 
they had been in Thessalonica discipling new converts, and, and they, they had separated Berea, and Berea. Paul went on to Athens. They went back to Thessalonica and discipled them, and then they make their way to Corinth. When they show up with him in the, temple, in the, in the synagogue, he is provoked by their presence to go ahead and witness. And when he witnesses, the people, some believe and some don't. Guess what happens when you witness? Some believe and some don't. And the Jews, the, the leaders of the synagogue, for the most part, except for a guy named Crispus, he believed, but the other guys gave him a hard time, and he got mad. And he did something culturally in that day. He dusted off his clothes in their presence and said, your blood is on your hands. It's not on mine. I'm taking this to the Gentiles. If you don't want to listen to me, I'm taking it to someone who will listen to me. And he just dusted off his, his uh, robe. He did his hands like this and said, it's on you. I'm out of here. The guy who lived next door, Justice, invited him into his home. He, his house, the Bible says, joined hard to the synagogue. And so Justice said, if you're leaving, come stay with me. And he stayed with Justice in his house, along with Timothy and along with Silas, and there, in the night vision, the Lord came to him and said, Paul, be not afraid. Why wasn't he open his mouth? Why wasn't he witnessing? He was fearful. Why is it that I don't witness sometimes and you don't witness? Can we say the same thing? We're afraid. We're nervous. We're fearful that what the response is going to be. We're going to re get rejected. I, I uh, witnessed to someone yesterday, and I could tell they were very lost. And trying to get the gospel in there was a battle I was having while they were talking. I was thinking the Lord's saying, talk to them. And I'm saying, they're not going to listen. You know, I asked them, what they, they said, where, are you, where have you been? I said, I was over in Arizona. I said, because I had to fill out something. And, and they said, I just said, have you been traveling outside the United States? No. I said, have you been traveling from the state? Yeah, where? Arizona. Really? And I said, no, I don't have the COVID. And, you know, and they, but they started asking questions. And I started talking to them. But I found out real quickly. They were talking about alcohol and taking their, their kids and getting them drunk for the first time. So I knew I was dealing with somebody who wasn't or drinking for the first time. Um, I knew I was dealing with somebody that was probably not a Christian. But there was a battle going on. You know what I was, I was battling? Fear. And God tells Paul, be not afraid. Open your mouth and speak boldly. I want you to talk to people in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was like a modern-day French Quarter of the New Orleans. It was like modern-day uh, Las Vegas Strip. If you, found a, if you found someone from Corinth that was someone who was acting wicked or profane, they would say, oh, you've been Corinthianized. If they found a drunken actor stumbling onto a playwright, they would say, that guy's from Corinth. That's how they act. So it was a very profane place. They had an, Afro, they had a, an Aphrodite temple there with over 1,000 present prostitutes laying around the temple. So it was a very filthy, nasty place as far as morality was concerned. But here's what God said about it. He said, don't be afraid. Open your mouth boldly and speak because I have much people in this city. The darker the night, the brighter the light. He said, I got a lot of people here that need Jesus. So no one's going to hurt you here. So he'd been hurt. He'd been beaten in Philippi. He had been chased out of Thessalonica in the middle of the night. 
He had been rent out by men of baser sort in, in, in Berea. He had been made fun of in Athens by the Socrates and the, and the Plato's of the day and mocked him. And so when he came into Corinth, he was not strong. He was weak. But God said, I want you to don't be afraid. Open your mouth. Speak boldly. I've got a lot of people in this city. And he stayed there for 18 months, a year and a half in that city. And God did miraculous things. He began to save a lot of people. And it was a wonderful place and a great ministry for the Apostle Paul. But then he leaves, and really, a lot of challenges take place. This is an inner city church. This is a city that has a lot of filth around it, if you will. <clears throat> and they kind of fell apart. They had about every problem that you could imagine they had in their church. Here's a few problems I put down here. Number one, they, were, they had a problem with discord and division. You see that there in your notes, number one. Another, another problem they had, they, were, they had immorality in the church, a man was having immoral activities with his stepmother and his, his father's wife. And people knew about it, but he was, still, uh, he was still respected and there was no discipline. There was nothing being done about it. Another thing, there was legal challenges. People were airing out their dirty laundry in, in courthouses before jurors and unsaved judges and bailiffs. They were arguing with each other. Rather than let the church decide it, they took it to court. And uh, he said, that's, that's, you should be willing to take the loss if need be. Number four, he says, uh, selfishness was very prevalent. A lot of immaturity. He calls them carnal people. Number five, a party spirit. There was a party spirit. Basically, just what's the next, the next fun thing? Abuse of, of spiritual liberties. They were taking abuse, and they didn't really care about other people. They cared about their own rights rather than other people's um, uh, status, their preferences, so forth and so on. Number seven, there was an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Most every time you ever hear the Lord's Supper, you're going to have someone's going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because it's the instruction that was given for a church that was not practicing it correctly. Another one is that there was their attire of the men and the women. This is where we find it's a shame for a man to have long hair. He said, does not nature itself teach you for a man to have long hair? It's an embarrassment. It talks about women's dress and women's attire. He addresses that because obviously it was a problem in that day. Very need, needful to do that. Number nine, spiritual gifts are discussed here, the abuse of them. Everybody wanted to give a tongue, speak in tongues. Everybody wanted to give a prophecy. Everybody wanted to be noticed and seen. No one wanted to clean the bathrooms. No one wanted to do something no one knew about. They always wanted to get the, the, the pulpit. They wanted to get the, the voice in. They wanted to have the attention. He says, look, you're missing the most needful gift you have. You're trading uh, your things, and in, in the most excellent gift is love. And that was what was the major uh, missing element in this local church. And then he says, false teaching was another problem, number 10. False teaching, they'd allowed uh, bad teaching to come in, primarily about the resurrection. And uh, I will just say to you, friends, you've got to be careful who you listen to. I'm not telling you you have to listen to me all the time. I, I don't have a problem being check, checked out, and I think I need to be. I've said some things. I've said so many words in a pulpit from time to time. I've been wrong, been dead wrong. 
But you need to be careful who you listen to. Paul said this, you did run well. Who did hinder you? There's always a who. And sometimes the who is really loud whenever you're discouraged or despondent. When you're struggling with answers and you've been frustrated by somebody else or you've been disappointed by someone else's behavior, all of a sudden you find yourself looking through blogs and looking through things or start listening to people that really they might sound good. The Bible tells us the Spirit speaketh expressly in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that in the latter days, in last days, here's what's going to happen. Some are going to depart from the faith. And you know how they will depart from the faith? Number one, they'll start giving heed to seducing spirits. Spirits of compromise. Number one, they'll start listening to the, to the spirit of compromise. Number two, they'll listen to doctrines of devils. Do you think the devil's running around in a red suit poking people all the time? No. The Bible says he is an angel of light. He comes as uh, smooth as silk. He looks really good on the outside, but he comes in with, a, with, a, with, with a, a bad poison. Number three, he says, then you'll start speaking lies and hypocrisy. I think what you hear, the doctrines of devils you receive, creates falsehoods that you stand hard on and you start speaking lies of hypocrisy yourself. Kind of like, I've just never been so free. I was bound in chains. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to break off and I want to have grace and I want to have liberty. And I think this is one of the things that you grab hold of a greasy pole and there's no stopping. But it starts with who we listen to, who we accept, what new nuance we receive, and we say, you know, I can handle it. I'm mature enough. Let me just tell you something, friend. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Whether you're five years old or 53-year-old, whether you are a layman in the pew or a pastor on the pulpit, all of us have to be careful because compromise is very real and it's very hurtful long-term. And the last thing he says there, then their conscience is seared with a hot iron. That after we go into all these things, and I've, I think I've watched people go through some of those. And uh, I remember a man one time telling me that he, did, he believed absolutely the opposite. And it wasn't just in, they'll say something like this, well, doctrinally we're the same, but their practice is totally different. And I'm not here to poke anybody in the eye, I'm just telling you, doctrine determines practice and destiny. What you believe will determine how you live, what decisions you make, all of that is, is in there. Your faith determines practice. But they start listening to people, and almost there's always a who. There's somebody that, they're, that they've got their ear on. Somebody they've met. I've had sweet friends of mine that they were just, man, they were being used of the Lord. And then all of a sudden they met someone, and he was suave, and he, was, he had all kinds of answers to all the frustrations and he played on them. He played on the fact that they, did, they were frustrated by this and they had been failed by this person, that person. And all of a sudden they bring in something. And now their lives are so different. And may I say, I, I, I can, I'm not trying to be judgmental of anybody else, but they're not as productive. Yeah. I went to see them in a church and they started a church in four years, about 130 people in there. Of people that were brand new converts, grown up. I don't know that, and, and I don't want to be unkind, I'm not sure that anybody, either one of those, those people that were deceived have led anyone to Christ in years. And it's grievous. It's sad. Because they were very productive servants of Christ. By the way, when you get away from soul winning, and I get away from helping people grow in the Lord, you'll find yourself looking a little bit uh, 
uh, squirrely and, and more open to falsehood. The most critical people in a church are people that are absolutely doing nothing. They don't bring anybody to Jesus. They haven't brought a soul to Christ. They don't really disciple people. They're not rejoicing with missions work. They're just sitting around looking for things to go wrong, and you'll find plenty of reasons. People in the race. That's why the Bible says, follow peace with all men, without which no man can see the Lord. And that's talking about stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And realize, I'm not responsible for you. You're not responsible for me. We're all going to stand before God for ourselves. But you want to stand before God, glad you did, not wish you would have. This church was in trouble. It's troubled. It's a doctrine for a troubled church. Let's look at the outline, if I can, real quickly for you. And then we'll kind of look at some things. Number one, the division in the church. The outline, the division in the church. You'll spend four chapters talking about the challenges that this church was facing. They were divided. Chapters 5 and 6, it was reason for discipline in the church. This is where the fornication has taken place, and it was commonly reported. People knew that there was, even in the world, people do not commit fornication, and it's not accepted even in the world. He said, even the Gentiles should not have this. Even the world, it was disdained, and yet the church was allowing it to take place. And that's where it concludes with, with uh, flee fornication, chapter 6 and verse 18, and what don't you know that your bodies are, know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God which is in you, and you have a God, you're not your own. Number, number three, the difficulties in the church. Look at chapter seven, if you would please, in verse number one. Someone read that for me. Chapter seven, verse number one. Who's got that? Can read that for us? Anybody? Okay, Brother, Brother Matt, go ahead. So he's going to address some problems. And how did he know there were problems? Because the church at Corinth had written him letters saying, hey, what about this? Chapter 7 is about, is about marriage. It's about intimacy. It's about virgins, about folks who should get married, should not get married. What happens to a lady who is married to a man or a man's later married and their husband and wife are not saved? What's their responsibility to that? What about divorce and remarriage? A lot of, 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 of attention is given to that in chapter 7. But he said they had written letters because they are from a pagan lifestyle. They would, have a, they would have a wife for kids and a wife for laundry and a wife for cooking and then they would go to the temple for, for foul and wicked and perversion that was going there. So they were all messed up in their head. And he, he writes them a letter. They write a letter and he writes back with explanation. He said, this is what the Lord says. Now, here's also, I didn't hear the Lord say this, but here's my advice for you. And he tells them his advice in chapter 7. Chapters 8 and 9, he talks about the servants of God, but he also talks about the selfishness that's there. And also, he's being attacked in chapter 9. Chapter 10 is a challenge of, of, of eating meats, and meats that some of which have been offered to idols. And he's talking about that. And that's not usually our problem today, but we do have gray areas that we need, to, we need to be careful with. And certainly one of the things, and what you do ought to be on your mind, how will this affect another brother or sister? How will this affect another brother and sister? What if the kids I taught in Sunday school back when they were in the fifth grade saw me go here, do this, wear this, would it help them or hurt them? See, Pastor, I don't have to worry about that. I think you do. I think you and I ought to be on the high road of holiness the rest of our life. 
And there are, he, he says three times in the book of 1 Corinthians, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient, not necessary, that I need to do our best. Boy, there's anyone can do whatever you want to do. But when you get ready to do something, you have question about it, you should ask yourself, number one, here's the stop principle, S-T-O-P. Number one, will it be a stumbling block to another brother or sister? T, will it hurt the testimony of my God, of my parents, of my family, of my wife, my husband? Will it hurt the testimony of our church in the community? That's a good question. Oh, is it some other person's conviction that I need just to live even though I don't feel the same way? If someone doesn't want to watch television or they think television, no house should have a television in it if they're a Christian. I have some friends that are very strong on that. Well, I'm not the same strength on that. But if I were to invite them over, I might put the television in the closet. I might cover it. I might say, you know what? I do not want to be offensive to their children. I do not want to cause them any questions. I'm going to take the high road. Even if it's not my conviction, God tells us, if he's told us one time, he's told us a thousand times in the scripture, I should hundreds of times, that we ought to look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Be kindly affectionate one to another in honor, preferring one another. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but with lowness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You know what all that is? L-O-V-E. Not for me, but for you. Love for other people. That's looking out the window of life, not in the selfie, in the mirror and saying, well, I like this or this is what I feel. There is, I think, some things that you have to be fully persuaded. That's the P. Fully persuaded in your own mind. Stop. Is it a stumbling block? Would it hurt the testimony? Is it something I should do, even if I don't feel strongly about it, but it could be hurtful to another? You know, no one is going to ever be offended if you dress modestly. No one's going to be offended if you, if you say, you know what, I don't have to ever go to a movie theater again. I don't, want, I don't, I don't have to do that. No one's going to get hurt by that. But they might get hurt if you don't. They might get hurt if they see you there. If they see, you say, well, you know what? I, I tell you what, I'm down the road and I'm strong enough and I can do this right here and I can put this on Facebook. And you know what? It's okay. You can do whatever you want to do. But someone's watching you. And someone could be hurt or helped by your decision. And that's part of the, the, part of the challenge of the church of Corinth. They were just way too selfish. And so he dealt with their problems. And of course, right in the middle of it is chapter 13. And you're familiar with chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. He said, listen, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Let me tell you something that will fix everything. That will take away the divisions. It'll take away the immorality. It'll take away the lawsuits. It'll take away your selfishness and the services and everybody popping up like popcorn and giving a, a prophecy and wanting to say that. It'll take away your selfishness, your potlucks instead of your communion. It'll take care of all that. It's, it's charity. Though you have the gift of tongues and understand all mysteries and speak all this stuff and you have not charity, you're nothing. He says, here's what charity looks like. It's It's kind. It vaunteth not, it's not easily provoked. It doesn't get mad easy. It's not going to be fired up in there. 
It's going to love all the pastors and all the ministers of God, whether it be Apollos or Paul or Cephas or the Lord. It doesn't matter whoever comes in. If as long as they got the Bible and the heart of God, you can, you can be helped by that. Every once in a while people say, well, if they're going to preach, I'm not going. He's pastor out of town. I'm not going to be there. Well, that's, that's immaturity. Something, there's a, a checkup from the neck up. Figure out something there. It's not about a personality. Paul says, who am I? Who is Apollos? Who is Cephas? Who's Peter? We're just ministers that God gave to every man so that you would profit, so you would be benefited. And uh, I think when you see your spiritual leaders and yours truly included, you're saying, you know what? That's the instrument of God to help us. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not a, someone that needs to be exalted above my measure. Obviously, you're, you're, God tells us to, to give double honor to those spiritual leaders. But at the same time, I'm a human being. And what I say is what more, more important. What I say from the scripture is more important than what my opinions are. And I will tell you this, and I talked to someone about that recently. Just remember, the devil is a master at a masonry. He likes to build walls in front of important relationships. You know, relationships are important. Your mother, mother and dad and children. Kids, there's also, there are oftentimes a struggle just to connect with them. Husband and wife, a very important relationship. Pastor and people is a very important relationship. Anything that's important in a spiritual sense, the devil's going to try to drive wedges there. Uh, uh, an employer, an employee, especially if they're both Christians. So if you, if you uh, work for a Christian person, the Bible says, don't despise them because you're brethren. Sometimes people who are Christians take advantage of Christian boss and get more fired up and more vocal and more, uh, more aggravating because their, their boss is a Christian. And they despise them. They analyze them more. An unsaved person, you expect them to act unsaved. When a Christian, is, you have more opinions about them. He said, you've got to be careful about that. And of course, love is the uh, key medicine to that. And then the false teaching. Now, let's look real quickly, if you would please, at number five there. Disbelief in the church. Bad teaching brought disbelief, and primarily around the purpose or the, the doctrine of the resurrection. This is where he'll, he'll say there, he'll give us the gospel in chapter 15. Here's where he'll also say this. He'll say, um, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt what? Good manners. You, get, or you start listening to the wrong, the wrong thing, it will affect your life. It'll affect what you do, where you go, what you wear. It'll affect every aspect of your life. He said, be careful. Don't kid yourself. Evil communications corrupt good manners or lifestyles. And that's exactly what happened in this. And then the last one, the duties in the church. Lessons to ponder real quickly. I'll give this to you. And, and of course, in chapter 16, he tells them about giving. He tells them about soul winning. He tells them about the example of, of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaia. From Achaia. Here, look, if you would please, number one, decide to be a spiritual Christian. Would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? And I need to conclude briefly. Thank you for listening this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he'll speak of three different people a natural man, a natural person, a carnal person, and a spiritual person. Okay? A natural person is someone who has not yet been saved. The natural man does not understand or receive. He doesn't have that spiritual antenna of the, of the Holy Spirit on the inside. So they're natural. In this room, 
There are people that are natural. You're not yet saved. You know it and God knows it. Number two is people that are spiritual. Over here is the spiritual man. That's someone who is letting the Spirit of God manage their life. And then there's the carnal man. And carnal, like carnasada. Am I striking a nerve there with you? You see, you see the carnasada. You, you see the meat market. What that means is the fleshly man or woman. It's the one who is ruled by the flesh. So the natural man, not saved. The spiritual man, a spirit-filled person, man or woman. A carnal person is someone who is flesh-driven. They do what the flesh wants to do, when they want to do it, however long they want to do it, and they don't care about anybody else. It's their number one. And he said, the spiritual man. And you know, each of us can be spiritual. I like to just look at this real quickly. Verse 15, verse, chapter 2, verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath instructed him, but we have the mind of Christ. So basically the spiritual man, he makes good judgment because he has the mind of Christ. And it's a beautiful testimony there. Be spiritual. Decide, you know, I want to be a spiritual mom, dad, brother, sister, husband, wife, uh, son, daughter. Number two, righteousness and purity are priorities in the Christian life. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Uh, being right is so important, and being pure is so important. Purity is powerful. Number three, true love is the greatest mark of spiritual maturity. True love. And uh, agape love, you've heard of that term before. Charity is the greatest mark of spiritual maturity. Um, you want to be a good Christian... Uh, you will find that love will be exuding from you. Um, even in hard decisions, the Bible says you've got to speak the truth how? In love. Somebody who has you have to say something that's harsh or, or firm, it still should be done with a tear in your eye. <laughs> It'll be done with the love in your heart. Not trying to get back at someone or, or rip someone's face off, but it ought to be done with love. The true mark of spiritual Christians is love. And then number four, Request of God. Recognize, point out, and take open doors for a gospel witness. We'll conclude chapter 16, would you please? Boy, this is a great book of the Bible, and I did not do justice tonight with you going through it. I'd love to walk through each chapter. But let's look real quickly at verse number 9. Let's read it out loud, and we'll conclude tonight. Are you ready? We're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And he writes this from the city of Ephesus. So he's in Ephesus for three years, so he writes it back. I believe he probably wrote four letters to the church at Corinth. Um, I think God chose to put two of them in our Bible. And we'll talk about 2 Corinthians in a couple weeks. But uh, their four letters seem like they reference that. I think he probably, uh, God put two of them in the, in the canon of Scripture. But let's look real quick at verse number 8. Ready? But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Verse number 9, everyone. For a great door. He said, there's a great door and effectual open to me. And what do you think that involved? I think that involved getting the gospel to another person. And he said, but there are challenges. There are adversaries. And I think he prayed. And he's asking them to pray. And I think it's something we ought to do as well. We ought to recognize. We ought to ask God, God, give me intersect me with someone who needs the gospel and help me to be brave enough to, to do that. With that person yesterday, i just tell you, I, I left that place, got in my car, and God convicted my heart. I said, John, 
Don't leave that person without the gospel. And so I sat in my car and I wrote them a note and I took the gospel track and I took it back to them. I said, I needed to tell you this. We were talking about a lot of things. I didn't tell you about this. I think I'd like to give this to you. I said, well, I'm busy right now, but I'll read it. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I probably missed an opportunity I should have taken. But I will say this. Just keep after souls. Look for opportunities. Take advantage of opportunities of open doors to give the gospel.